Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. All right, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here, and I have another very special guest today. And the special guest is Mr. Ben Lay. How are you, my friend? Very good. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. And we were just talking before, and for those of you who are just listening to this, uh, we're doing this over Zoom, and uh, Ben has arrived on Zoom in a beautiful red jumper, and it's um, <laughs> which actually matches the background because you've got a nice office background with some nice green plants. As Lots of good contrast, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm not known for my fashion sense, but <laughs> every now and then I get it right. <laughs> Absolutely. So for those of you who are interested in watching the YouTube version, uh, please at some stage go to YouTube because this interview will be on the YouTube channel. So just look at uh, tag either Darren Mitchell, Exceptional Sales Leader, or of course, Ben Lay, and you'll be able to see the fabulous red jumper that I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben, hey, thanks for jumping on, mate. We, we've been connected for a little while now and and... Uh, we actually we actually spoke uh, based on a mutual colleague of ours, Tiffany Cook, who also runs yes. a podcast, um, Roll With The Punches. But when she introduced us, I actually looked in and thought, hang on, we're actually already connected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have made uh, quite a lot of effort to reach out to like-minded uh, individuals, and that includes sales leaders. And yeah, so so I'm really glad to, to be connected with them. Uh, individual like yourself and um you know what one can look at it and say oh we're competitors but really there's so much business out there for everyone yeah. um everybody needs sales training so um i'm more than happy to connect with other trainers mate it's it's a really interesting comment you mate because another another colleague uh, a guy called mark labusk he also does a podcast and he's a trainer he does the human experience and he was doing a lot of interviews with people who the listeners were saying, oh, Mark, how come you're actually, how come you're interviewing a competitor? Doesn't that actually mean that it's there's less opportunity and less business for you? And he said, no. Like, how big is the world, right? And how many, how many customers are out there? How many businesses are out there? So my view is, hey, the more that we can talk about sales and sales leadership, the more we can get the message out there. Who's to say that my method is the right method? Who's to say with respect your method is the right method? It's just the method. But the more we can get the message out there, the better it is for everybody. So, um, hey, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to competitors. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's really encouraging to see that um, most sales trainers now are following the ethical mindset. Um, and that's going to lift the profession as a whole. And the more trust and uh, good practice there is out there, the, the easier it's going to be to make transactions and it's better for our economy. Oh, absolutely, mate. And I love I love the fact you uh, you mentioned ethics there because we are going to talk about your organization, Sales Ethos. And uh, we're going to talk about ethics, particularly in selling. We'd also we'll also love to touch on introversion in selling because I know you've done a few videos and you've got some thoughts on that. And we'll talk yeah. about LinkedIn as well. But just on the ethics side, I'd love your take on this. I've been in I've been in sales for like 20 plus years. And when you talk to a lot of people who are not necessarily in sales and you ask them the question, what do you think of sales and how do you think of salespeople? Ethics is not necessarily at the top of the list. And I'm not sure about you, but we need to be, and I'm certainly on a mission to change the narrative around that because I believe it's one of the, it can be one of the most ethical 
professions on the planet because it's it's the way that we serve people and what we're there to do is solve problems. So what's your take on that? And we'll lead that into a conversation about, you know, your background. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it is unfortunate that there are still many other people out there who are being pushed into sales roles or pushed to use pushy tactics, um, especially with the uh, telesales. You know, we get all those uh, spam calls or you might be walking in the shopping center and get get approached and get some product shoved in your face. You know? um, <laughs> the, the truth is, I think most of these people don't want to do these uh, techniques, but but they're being forced to by the by their bosses. Uh, and it's very unfortunate because it, it, it creates a negative uh, taste in our mouth and, and that seeps into our subconscious. And if, if it's not addressed, when we go out and sell, we think to, to ourselves, oh, I don't want to be like those people. And so we actually sabotage ourselves. We, we sabotage our success. Mm. So it's, uh, it's very important to, um, to be mindful of that and to address the, those negative connotations before we actually go out and learn all the sales techniques. Absolutely. And a lot of that points to what we're being taught, what sort of models we have to follow um, and what we, uh, what we are taught to believe pretty much in terms of you. Yeah. And when you talk about tele sales and, and some of the organizations that have lo- lots of telemarketers, but also the door to door people, uh, they're pretty much told, Hey, close, close, close. Always yeah. closing. Here's the script. When they say this, say this, when they say this, say that look for the opportunity to flog the product in other yeah. words take that square peg and try to jam it into a round <laughs> hole it's actually funny you mentioned door knocking because uh, in victoria we've got these uh, stickers that we can put on our doors that says no door knocking my dad has one and then, so when i come knocking at his house he, he opens the door and says sorry no sales people <laughs> <laughs> that's okay dad i'm not a salesperson i'm a sales trainer <laughs> We're all salespeople at the end of the day, Darren. <laughs> we are, mate. We are. That's that's so true. And I mean, I actually recorded a podcast about that. So we're all salespeople, no matter what role you're doing. You're always yeah. selling idea, all selling yourself. And I say, well, you know what? If you've got a partner, at some stage, one of you got sold. Yes, yes. <laughs> Preferably both at the same time. <laughs> so let's let's take it on board and embrace the fact that we are in sales. Hey, um, for the for the listeners that are currently plugging into this love to get a bit of a, a background on on Ben so I know that sure. it wasn't necessarily the the stereotypical uh, background that led you into sales but it's a really interesting background nonetheless would you like to yeah. just share a little bit about that yeah sure um, from a young age I've always wanted to do professional speaking um, I used to go up to the front of my church uh, behind the podium and just imagine myself you know preaching to to the congregation. Um, but uh, as I grew up, I kind of lost my way. I, I wasn't sure exactly how to get into that profession. Um, so I did the next best thing, which was uh, I got into nursing. So, um, and got all the teasing that goes with male nurses. <laughs> and, um, but, but I enjoyed uh, a four-year career in that. Um, and yeah, it really suited my personality because uh, I, I like to care for people. Um, and I like the idea of doing that for a living. Uh, but um Four years in, I realized uh, that if I really wanted to pursue that that dream, uh, I would have to transition into business. And at that time, I was reading a lot of books, uh, one of them by Zig Ziglar, which is Secrets of Closing the Sale. And I realized, hey, I actually have no idea how to sell, So, um, but I know I need it. So I, I jumped into the deep end and got myself a sales job. Um, and 
I'll tell you for the first three months, I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> now I'm a natural introvert with a side of people pleaser. So, <laughs> so it was incredibly difficult to just pick up that phone and call existing clients. It wasn't even cold calling. Yeah. Um, but uh, three months in, I managed to just persevere, just focusing myself on the, the end goal. And um, an amazing thing happened. Like my, my brain started to calm down and realize that, hey, after I made that sales call, I didn't drop down and die. <laughs> so I was able to I was able to continue doing it and actually made a, a successful career in in sales, doing it ethically, you know, with all of the my values intact while still uh, not fully uh, coming out of my introversion. Um, like I didn't have to become a different person is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like from, from there, uh, I, I started this business uh, sales uh, ethos uh, with the goal of helping other people who are going into the sales profession, uh, who want to maintain their values and who don't want to necessarily become a different person in order to achieve that. Yeah. Nice. And um <laughs> I love the fact you said uh, you're an introvert. You're able to hang on to that introversion without having to change your values or change the way you have to be, which is a really interesting point because my experience with a lot of certainly bigger companies, um, and you mentioned people pleaser, there's a lot of people <laughs> that come into an organization and feel as if in order for them to fit into a culture, and particularly a sales team is a culture, and sometimes it's a world within, within itself, they have to change the way they are. And that can actually create a lot of a lot of issues, particularly around ethics and values. That, in order for them to be successful, they have to start doing some things that perhaps go against those values. Um, yeah. What's What's your experience been? Because I know you've, you've done a lot of training and continue to do a lot of training. When you come up against people who are saying, "Hey, my boss is asking me to do this because it's all about the number, the number, the number," um, but I feel as if I'm going to be going against my ethics and going against my values. How do we actually cut through that? Yeah, that's that's a very unfortunate situation. And actually, one of the organizations that I worked for uh, was pretty much that description. And we were at total loggerheads. I, I would invite the uh, executive uh, into the meetings with with me, uh, and he would just outright lie about our capabilities. <laughs> I was just shocked. Um, so so that um, that meant that we had to part ways ultimately. Um, and, and I would probably suggest that for any sales professionals out there who want to maintain their ethics, and if you're working for someone who insists that you break those ethics in order to make targets, it's probably time to look for another organization to, to work for. Because, yeah. I mean, how long can you really uh, work in that environment where you're experiencing what, what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, right? A conflict between what you're doing and what your inner values are. It creates a lot of stress. And uh, I can't imagine what it would be like trying to live like that and, and to work like that every day. It's, um, but you know what? It's interesting how many people actually become used to it to the point oh. where they allow themselves to change. And I've seen it happen. You, you, you've been working with some people. You sort of, they've gone off and have worked for another organization thinking that the grass was greener on the other side. Yeah. They've, they've changed you see them again and you think, well, there's something fundamentally different about this person. And yeah. I'm, I'm big on, you know, cultures and making sure we've got the right culture, doing the right thing, setting the standards of excellence. But there are organizations yes. out there that, that pretty much, and I'll say this respectfully, they brainwash their team. They brainwash mm. their people. 
and they expect them to drink the Kool-Aid thinking that they have the best product and the best service. And there right. is all the competition has to be squashed. And so right. we, we, and this is why we're having this conversation because we need to bring ethics back to the surface. Now, yeah. what's fascinating about this is a lot of organizations such as the boss you were just describing, uh, they will believe, at least they'll tell themselves that they have ethics. And they'll <laughs> say it's ethical because it's a means to an end. Because as long as we get the service into the customer, as long as we sell them the product, we're doing them a service, right? Mm, really? Mm. Yeah, I've heard a saying once, so I'm a bit of a comic book nerd. Um, and uh, there was a really interesting saying that every villain in their own mind is the hero of their own story. <laughs> so sometimes we, sometimes they just don't have awareness that, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> no, that's right. And if you don't, you don't have somebody to mentor you who has that strong conviction of this is what I stand for, and when something goes against that value, if we don't have the courage to call it out, yeah, then what we're actually doing is we're now starting to set a new standard. Now, that's on us. And certainly if you're a sales yeah. leader doing that and you're doing that to survive, you're doing that because you don't want to lose your opportunity to, to you know, make commission and, and you've got security in the job. Think about this while you're doing it. Yeah. And, and you've actually brought to my mind um, some ancient wisdom uh, that what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul in the process? And, and, and that's really what it is that, that um, you know, if you're going to the same job day in, day out, you hate what you're doing, you hate yourself for it. Like, what, are you, what is the real cost of you know, working in that job? Um, I think that's, that's something that really helps uh, put things into perspective. Oh, it does. It does. Now, uh, there will be, interestingly, there'll be people who are listening to this who are actually not in sales, right? So I've got listeners who are not in sales. Uh, they might be in leadership, uh, but they just happen to, to come across this podcast. When you talk to most people around sales and you ask the question, what do you think of sales and what do you think of salespeople? It's very rare that they'll actually use salespeople and ethics in the same sentence, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But they'll they'll use they're not ethical. They just they just push the snaky snaky all salesman sort of connotations come up. Yes. From your perspective in in working with a number of organisations now and coming from an ethical perspective, what's what's your take on this? And what, what are you seeing in the marketplace? And how are people resonating with the uh, I guess the the ethical um, concept? Yeah, I've been very fortunate that the vast majority of people that I meet uh, actually want to do the right thing to begin with. Uh, there's only been very rare occasions where they're only, you know, revenue centered. So, so it seems that most businesses are getting it nowadays that you need to be ethical in order to be successful. Mm. Like there's there's no shortcut, and and um, it's not should we be ethical. It's like that's the only option if you wanna if you wanna run a business in today's economy. You know, there's no other option. Social media has really nailed been the nail in that coffin because the moment you do something dodgy, people are going to talk about it on the internet, social media. Reputation just spreads so fast. Um, so, and that's ultimately going to be the the value of the brand and the trust that people put in the brand. So, yeah, from that perspective, um, I've been very fortunate to, to only work with people who, who wanted to do the right thing. Yeah. But their challenge is usually how. It's like, how do we be ethical and effective at the same time? So their, their difficulty is that they'll, they'll put the foot off the pedal too much. Yeah. Like they'll hold back on being assertive 
because they're afraid of being pushy. And yeah. that's why it's very important to differentiate the two. Mm-hmm. So, so that's part of my challenge, like being able to help them to see how being assertive is actually in clients' best interests. Uh, and that is an ethical thing to do. Well, it is because it comes down to, obviously, you've got to have a good belief in your product and your service, but you've also got to do your due diligence and think about is the customer that I'm working with, do they actually have a problem that they want to solve or am I trying to create a problem that I want them to solve and retrofit my product? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It comes back to the whole um, selling ice to Eskimos uh, scenario. Well, it, um, does. it does. Unless, unless the Eskimos need some sort of special ice or <laughs> there's something That's different it. about the ice that you're selling. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Because when you, when you talk about ethics and effectiveness and being assertive, because there'll be salespeople listening to this right now that's saying, Man, my sales manager, he is just or she's just writing me really hard. I'm, I'm behind on my quarterly target. Uh, my pipeline is not 3x my target. It's like 1.5x my target. And it's just pressure, 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 right? So mm-hmm. when, when people are under pressure, and sometimes this is a survival instinct, they can sometimes start doing things that perhaps they wouldn't normally do at rest or in a normal course of the yeah. You know, from from that perspective, we've got somebody listening that's in that sort of predicament, and we're now talking about being ethical, mm. being effective, being efficient, but also being assertive. What sort of message do we give them? What how how do we actually get them to understand that you know what you've got to have a sense of urgency, but yes. also you've got to do it ethically. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very uh, difficult situation to be in, and and I fully empathise with uh, those that are struggling. Uh, but um, my, my suggestion would be to to keep your eyes on the long term and not to sacrifice uh, by using short-term results because your short-term tactics may get results, you know, in a month or three months. But but then you're going to have to repeat that process in the next three months um, if, if you haven't uh, had the long-term mindset. And uh, I would say that if, if you really wanted to dial dial back the uh, difficulty of ethical selling. The number one thing that I would suggest is to lower your self-orientation as much as possible. That means putting aside your agenda, that thinking about your quota, and you just fully focus on the person that you're speaking to, fully listen to them, hear their problems, hear what their situation is, try to relate to the person try to solve their problems. And then paradoxically, when you put them first, instead of your quota, your effectiveness increases. They're they're more likely to listen to you. They're more likely to take up your solution. um, And and that will serve your quota in the end. So it's like the the, the priority is only difference by one. So there's priority one and there's priority two. You can either put yourself on number one, or you can put your client at number one. But but the distance between one and two is massive in terms of the, the, the actual, how it plays out. Uh, so, so reduce your self-orientation by being client-focused and people will love you for it and they will reward you for it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, as, you, as you're talking there, you're talking about short-term and I'm, I'm just thinking back to all the sales managers that I had reporting to, or I was reporting to where it was... It, the closer we got to the end of the month or the closer we got to the end of the quarter, the more regular the cadence meetings were where you had to literally sit down and go through a forensic investigation as to where these deals were at, what's the probability, what are you going to do to get it over the line, what's your gap 
gap closure strategy, et cetera, et cetera, which then led to a lot of short-term strategies. And the company sometimes would say, right, we're going to do a, a, a fire sale. We're going, to, we're going to give a discount, right? So you're conditioning customers now on how to deal with you just to, just to get a number. And I'm, I'm, I talk about this all the time, just to get a number via fake timeline, <laughs> right? Now, people listen to this, or, you know, we have to have end of the month, end of the quarter, end of the phone. I get that, right? Because you've got to report to the market, et cetera. But if you take a leaf out of what Simon Sinek talks about now in his infinite game, the game never stops. So as I often say to sales teams today, your customers are going to be buying tomorrow just because they don't purchase today. They're still potentially going to be open to purchasing tomorrow. So how about you treat them like that? And how about, as you say, focus your attention on them because some things might happen in terms of you'll be, you'll be looked after. Absolutely. And, and, um, and that's a really a question of whether you want to put your timing uh, as the priority or their timing, because some products, you know, are, dependent on on when is the best time to implement like so so for sales training uh, a lot of i'm getting this a lot towards the end of the year oh we don't want to start anything now because we're going to go on holiday and we won't be able to put into practice so yeah. i have to accept that as just a reality of clients timing and yeah i could uh you know compromise my prices <laughs> try to get them over the line now but but then i'm sacrificing the profitability for the long term yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm also uh, demonstrating um, my self-orientation that, and rearing its ugly head, the, the neediness and the desperation. That's it. Um, so, so that's uh, not not uh, not a very good way to position oneself <laughs> when when dealing with uh, clients. No, because uh, particularly in Australia, people's uh, BS meters are pretty good, and they can smell <laughs> a level of desperation. And I don't know about you, but customers know when they've got a salesperson in front of them who desperately needs deal to get them over the line because they have to make quota because they've got their boss ready right in their back to get it done really, really quickly, which by the way, puts the onus back onto the customer and the power in the customer's hands to say, right, you want this deal? What else are you going to give me? Uh, yes, yes. The the whole seesaw has been uh, tilted. <laughs> Who has the power? Unbelievable, unbelievable. So one of the other things that I was curious to explore with you, Ben, was uh, you do sales training, but focusing on emotional intelligence, which is a really interesting topic uh, in and of itself, because fair to say that a lot of sales teams don't necessarily have EQ at the top of, I guess, their capability list. Having said yes. that, more and more companies are now spending more time looking at EQ as a, um, I guess, as an enabler when they bring people in. Let's yes. just talk about how important that is uh, when it comes to selling today uh, and how it fits into being ethical. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and that's where we get into a little bit of dangerous territory, I think, uh, because the having emotional intelligence means understanding how people function from an emotional level. And uh, one of the things that uh, we have to understand is that emotions equals action. So if we're able to stir up a certain emotion in a person, they, they will likely act on what we're asking from them. Yeah. So, so these techniques are really powerful. And we and for, for me as a trainer, I have to be very careful who I teach these techniques to because they can be used for manipulation or they can be used in the client's best interest, like just to yeah. account for what their preferences are and so forth. But, but it is certainly um, extremely important. It always has been, but, but it's just been brought to the forefront now because we're 
where we have the scientific methodologies to discover why it's effective. Um, so, so just just for example, um, in Robert Cialdini's book uh, Influence, uh, a must read for every salesperson and every leader. Absolutely. The principle of reciprocity. So, when you do something nice for someone, they feel indebted in a way to do something nice for you. So, when you walk into a car dealership, the first thing they do is to offer you a coffee because that small gesture uh, triggers a you know the the emotional response that we want to to purchase from them. So, so that can be used, you know, as as a as an act of sincerity. Like, you just have if you're sin- genuinely a giving person and you are very generous with the person that you meet, then they will want to reciprocate. You can be certainly be mindful of that. But a con person could also use that that same technique, <laughs> uh, which is why, like I said, we have to be very careful. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's just a very, very small example of a very powerful emotional trigger that, um, that we need to be conscious of. Mm. Cause there are a lot of people out there that, uh, and I say, I do exactly the same thing, whatever technique we're going to be teaching you. And a lot of it is like just physiology, uh, body language and all that sort of stuff, which is linked to social awareness and, and self-awareness and self-management, uh, use it for good, mate, use it for good. Don't use it for evil because exactly. you've got to remember that. At the end of the day, all you've got is your reputation. And from my perspective, this is where ethics become really important. So would you, and this is the test, right? I often say this to salespeople. If you have a relationship with your customer, would your customer either send you a Christmas card or would they invite you to like a family barbecue towards the end of the year? So, because a lot of salespeople say, and I had this when I was a sales leader, they said, oh, we've got this fantastic relationship with this customer. Ben loves us. He takes, he comes to coffee. He buys me coffee. We go to lunches. We go to events. And I said, well, would Ben invite you to his family to have Christmas dinner? Mm. Not quite sure. Okay. So maybe the relationship you think you have is not actually a relationship you actually do have. <laughs> so now here's, here's, what here's what I'm not saying. So for those listening who are in sales, I'm not actually saying try and get into your, your customer's Christmas family <laughs> dinner. But from, just think about it though. But from an ethics point of view, if you become a trusted, confident, and people throw around this, this concept of trusted advisor, left, right, and it's like you get it from a cornflakes packet, right? Everybody's talking about it. <laughs> yeah. But when you think about it, a trusted advisor is, do I am I trusted as an individual? Would my client trust me with somebody who is near and dear to them or would they not? That's a test. So we're not saying you have to build those relationships to that level, but that's the test. So that's, that's for me, it's always about when I'm doing something, am I doing it for the right reasons? Am I doing it ethically? And is my reputation being enhanced with this person? Absolutely. And, and, and trust, uh, trust in itself is an emotion as well. Hmm. Um, and and that's, that's why we have to be aware of that and, and also be aware of how people are gauging whether they trust us or not. Yeah. Because the, let's just say uh, someone didn't know better and they were trying to earn trust. And so they use the phrase, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have the exactly opposite effect of, of its intention. So, so there's an interesting book um, by the name of The Trusted Advisor by David Meister. And he created the, the trust equation. And I thought, and I teach this all the time now because it's just so powerful. On the top, you have credibility, which is you know uh, how much you know your stuff and your background and so forth. Reliability, which is keeping your promises. Uh, and intimacy, which is the relationship, like the fondness they have of you. And then it's divided by 
self-orientation. Yeah. Which is what we were referring to before. Yeah. So if you want to have the biggest impact, be others focused, don't be self-centric. And, and that is one of the, the truest ways that people will judge whether you are trustworthy or not by how much you care about them. That's it. That's it. Which leads me to, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because I also teach that a lot and it's such a powerful thing because a lot of my, a lot of my approaches around leadership, especially when I talk to, to sales leaders is this concept of servant leadership, which is just that. Mm. I, I often say that leadership is not about you. It never has been and never will be. In fact, you are the least important person in your team. But the paradox to that is you become the most important person in your team if you have the ethics in place, if you know what you stand for, you know what your values are, and if you place all of your emphasis on serving your team and serving your customers. So this is not being self-serving and this is not being a servant, right? So we're not we're not talking about creating codependency here. <laughs> it's about how do I best serve my team, which means, you know what, I'm going to have the conversation that I need to have when I need to have it. I'm going to be assertive with a customer when I need to be assertive because that's the right thing to do and that's the ethical thing to do. Yes. It may result in a short-term uh, challenge in some cases, but yes. over the long term, I now remain consistent with my ethics and with my values, which will only come back and pay dividends down the down the track. So Absolutely. It's, it's the servitude that I think is the most important thing. So that, that automatically kind of takes away, at least from my perspective, the, the danger around self-orientation. It, it it does, and it's it's probably one of the greatest uh, paradoxes of all time: servant leadership, because uh, that's not how we perceive uh, leaders. But um, it's the greatest mindset. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'm really curious with all the stuff that you do, talking about uh, you know uh, ethics and being assertive and being effective, having a long term focus. Uh, how do how is that how is that what's the question? How is that um, received by some organisations? Is there, is there challenges? Because in some cases, there'll be sales teams and sales organizations who have been used to operating in a certain fashion. And it might might be to some degree functional for them. It might be working. That is, they're getting some results, but they know there's a different level. And they know at their core that if they can just become a little bit more ethical, do a few more things slightly differently, they can they can get some improvement. What sort of what sort of challenges or pushback? Uh, have you found and, and are you continuing to find in, in the work that you do? Yeah, I've actually been very fortunate um, that the the type of clients that I attract are the ones who want to do things the right way, uh, right from the beginning. Yep. Um, so, so, yeah, the, the ones that uh, that don't, they, they hear my pitch about being ethical and they just think, oh, I don't want this guy. <laughs> oh, I, at least that's my, that's my assumption anyway. <laughs> ethical and introverted? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and a nurse as well. Come yeah. On. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, I think like attracts like. Um, and uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't come across too many uh, situations where there's pushback. But that said, the, the, the greatest pushback that I've found is actually comes back to individual attitudes. Um, so when I'm coaching those uh, individuals and um, they ask me, oh, how long is this going to take? <laughs> I know I'm in trouble because they're not going to listen to a thing that I'm saying. And, and it goes back to the growth mindset. Yeah. Uh, some people just are so fixated on, you know, they, they don't, they're not open to learning. Mm. And, and that's where the phrase, you can't teach a dog. Uh, an old dog new tricks it comes from those stubborn people not from the old dogs <laughs> old dogs are perfectly teachable <laughs> that's it that's it 
it's their it's the lack of willingness to to learn and be open to something new because they and and part of that may well be self-preservation when you think about it which is oh my god and we talk about like imposter syndrome a lot oh uh, what yes if, what if i what if i'm actually not as good as perhaps I've been giving the impression that I am and the status I have within the organization. Geez, what if what if I find out and they find out that I'm I'm different? Yeah, yeah. That's um that's tricky. Um and, and imposter syndrome is actually quite an interesting topic as well, I feel, um, because I'm coming across more and more people who uh, express that they have this challenge. Um, and, and especially women, women who in, in sales positions, like uh, they, they just have a tendency to to self-doubt. Um, maybe maybe men are more delusional. <laughs> I, I could say that being a guy. That's it, uh, that's it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that that's another interesting area. And and I would probably say that um, like from a uh, psychology perspective, we're we're really bad at self assessing how good we are. Yeah. Like this in, this is called the Dunning Kruger effect. Yeah. Uh, if you want to look it up, so um, dumb people don't know they're dumb, <laughs> but. But smart people also don't know how smart they are because they they look at people way above themselves and then they think, oh, uh, I must not be that good because I, I see that other one. It's um, all the comparison game, isn't it? Which is which is a really really dangerous game. And I, I say to people all the time, the only person you need to compare yourself with is the person staring back at you in the mirror. That's it. Exactly. And just exactly. think about how can I get better today than I was yesterday, and how can I get better tomorrow than I was yesterday. Now. Put that into context now, and let's just talk about uh, people who potentially are introverted who found themselves in sales because often, often introverted people in sales don't necessarily go together. But before we press record on this, I was saying that some of the best sales people I've ever worked with were actually quite introverted, but it meant that they had some power, and one of those key power um, moves was their ability to listen. Um, love, love you to talk about your perspective because you are a self-confessed introvert. <laughs> Because we then want to also sort of reach into particularly salespeople that are listening to this right now who might have a, a tendency to be introverted or is not as outgoing as perhaps others would like them to be. Uh, how do we utilize things like LinkedIn to be more effective in our sales campaigns? So let's talk about introversion first, right? So, sure. um, and I don't know, this is part of your story or, or what do you, <laughs> what do you, what's, your, what's your take on this? Because a lot of people look at it and say, it's a contradiction. Sales, yeah. introversion doesn't go together, right? So yeah, it, it definitely doesn't fit the usual stereotype what we see on TV, like Wolf of Wall Street and <laughs> all those other uh, movies. Um, but I would say that the superpower of introverts is our ability to listen. So I've got uh, a lot of extroverted friends. Like when, when I catch up with them, I will ask them one question and I'll listen for the next fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but but this is exceptionally useful in in sales situations because once you understand their circumstances and the implications, their problems, their pain points, their goals, then you can frame the entire presentation uh, around what you've learned in that data collection uh, stage. Uh, but but the other great thing about uh, this listening skill is that you're actually communicating to the other person that they are important. And they're going to like you a lot more when they feel important. Uh, they're going to feel cared about. Um, so so that, that's the major strength of introversion. But with every strength comes you know, challenges. Uh, and same thing for extroverts. So extroverts have some advantages in sales situations, yeah. uh, say, do, especially during the presentation phase. That's where extroverts really shine. Yeah. Um, but during the 
the consultative phase, that's where they need to adapt their behavior a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and listen more. So so likewise, uh, for introverts, like their, their key challenge is not in the consultative phase, it's actually in the presentation phase, uh, and in the closing phase, when when you need to have a, a greater degree of assertiveness, in order to to get the commitment from uh, the client. So, so that's where um, I, I wouldn't say you need to change uh, who you are in order to but but think of it as just a skill. Yeah. Presenting is a skill. And uh, for, for me as an introvert, I had to learn every social skill that I have the hard way. I was the awkward, socially awkward kid growing up. I, I would be at the party and sitting by myself in the corner. Like that's who I was. <laughs> that's who I was. I had to learn everything the hard way through study and through experimentation and just... You know, sometimes we do have to step outside our comfort zone a little bit. Yes. So, so when it comes to presenting, you have to really practice, really know your stuff, and you know, learn learn from from uh, professional speakers how to be good at presenting. Uh, and for for the closing stage, uh, to to a certain extent, we have to overcome that that uh, reluctance. But but just keeping in mind that our our reason for asking for the sale is for the client's benefit, not not for our own. Uh, our benefit is a side is a side note. Well, that, and if we if we do that well, because that I I think I'm actually I used to be introverted myself, but I reckon I've changed over time <laughs> 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 through practice, right, and through getting more yeah. and then being able to ask the questions. But I think you're right in saying that at the closing phase, there's a lot of people that are, that are still afraid to actually ask for the close. They almost just assume and hope that. The client will, through some form of osmosis or telepathy conversations, say, "Yes, what's the next part? Where do I sign, or what do we do next?" Which is, which to an introvert is music to their ears because they don't actually have to ask. So, Mr. <laughs> customer, Mrs. Customer, would you like to purchase this product or this service? Um, but that's that's where it can be can be a challenge because they they think, "Oh, what if they say no?" Which again, yeah. imposter syndrome can come in and self doubt can come in and. I think what you're saying is so so true that if you actually put your focus on the customer, the problem you're solving, and it presupposes, of course, that you've got a really strong belief in the fact you've got a solution to solve that problem, then it's just a natural consequence of that conversation to say, well, the next step is this. And what's the worst thing that somebody's going to say if you ask them, hey, based on what you've seen, would you like to proceed? And they say, no. Can you handle that? You're not going to self-combust. <laughs> but our brains tell us otherwise. That's the problem. <laughs> yes, we think we, and we, we allocate failure to that right, or rejection to that. And then part of it might be, oh, shit, I've got to go back and talk to my sales manager because I promised I was going to get this deal. And now I've got to go back and say I didn't get it because of X, Y, Z. What am I going to say? Whew. Yeah, the, the fear is real. <laughs> well, it is. But the only way to do that, and this is a big, a big tip for introverts, is to put yourself in those positions and this is the big thing, remove yourself from the pressure of having to get the outcome. Mm, mm, mm. If you actually, if you actually go through the process, if you believe and you've used all the stuff we've been talking about today, if you are ethical in what you're doing, if you believe you've got a solution that can genuinely help this customer and you ask the question and they say, no, well, that's their choice. I'll still take responsibility for that, but I've got to remove myself from the pressure of having to convince them because you know what? If I leave them with that impression of increase to say I've left an indelible mark on them, maybe, 
next week, next month, they'll still remember me. I'll stay top of mind. Maybe just now they went in the right part of their buying cycle. Who knows? Yeah, actually, you've raised a really interesting point because um, one of the things that, um, that that I often counsel people about uh, is their mental stress levels, um, and when they have that those targets, that's of course going to increase their stress. Um, and uh, to, to, in order to help these people, uh, I point their attention to what I call circles of influence. So, if, if you imagine a small circle, that's something that we have direct influence over. So we have direct influence over our behavior, our choice of words, and our self-learning, uh, everything associated with ourselves. Then there's an outer circle. Uh, and, and that outer circle is where we have influence. So we don't directly control those things, but we definitely have a part in affecting how it works, right? So, so that might be trying to influence a person to buy or might be influencing how your manager <laughs> deals with you. And then on the outer circle, we have the area of no influence. <laughs> and for, for some people, they actually spend an inordinate amount of time in that area. And that creates a lot of psychological stress. So they're watching the news. They're seeing you know, reports of wars and, and famine and earthquakes. And uh, they're getting really stressed out about it. And it creates a, a very stressful state on the inside. So when it comes to sales situations, like you were describing, if they're focused too much on the number and not, which is, you know, the, the area of influence and sometimes out of their area of influence, yeah. then that's going to create a lot of psychological stress because they have no power over influencing that outcome. Um, so yeah, focus on what you can control, not what you can't. It's a great point. And if you remove yourself from the pressure of having to get the outcome, that is having to close the sale, then all of a sudden, a natural consequence of that conversation will be sales will start to will start to come in. But here's what we're not saying: that as a salesperson, you can't get away with not asking for the sale. You just can't <laughs> assume that the customer, based on your presentation, is going to lean forward and say, "So Ben, what's the next step? Where do I sign?" <laughs> you sometimes do have to ask the question, which is where assertiveness comes in, right? Yes, it does. You start it does. to build that muscle because that's if if. If everything you've done is ethical, then it's the customer's actually, and think about this, the customer's going to be expecting you to ask them the direct question, would you like to purchase? Now, if you yeah. don't ask that question, then you might have actually now started to uh, detract from the reputation you've built with that person because you haven't asked that question. And they leave with a little bit of dissatisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. Ask you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's your responsibility to, to do that because... Um, like it, it's your selling process uh, that you need to lead them through. They, they, they don't know what your, what your process is. Yeah. So you got to show them. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, the, the way that I look at it uh, is that if you have the ability to help someone and you don't, what kind of person are you? <laughs> and when you think about, you know, with that as well, a lot of, a lot of the challenges that I see within sales teams is also, a an objection around price but it, here's the thing it's not an uh, objection that the customer has about the price it's a self-objection that we might have about our own price or our own value and whether that's yourself providing coaching mentoring training like what we do or you're selling a product you think wow what is the perceived value here and am i minimizing this by trying to provide a, provide a discount or am i saying and the price is and keep it really under <laughs> hoping you get it through really quickly um, 
I know you do a lot of work on this and, and love to get your thoughts on, on pricing and the importance of standing tall with the price and therefore the value you're providing. Absolutely. Uh, pricing psychology is a massive area of uh, study. And um, it's very interesting because like, if you think about it, what is the value of something? Like, let's just say a bottle of water. If you buy it from the supermarket, you can get it for less than a dollar. And if you if you buy it from um, you know the cinemas, they charge you what five dollars for it. it. So so what's what's the difference uh, with the with the value of of each situation? Um, and uh, the the ultimate answer is that the value of something is as much as a person is willing to pay. You can you can put your antique so called antique on eBay and put the price ten thousand dollars on it. But unless someone else is willing to shell out for that ten thousand, like it's not worth that much, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the market ultimately determines how much things are worth. Uh, but, but it's, but it's a really interesting area because um, a lot of people feel a sense of shame when they quote high prices. Uh, I didn't say expensive, by the way. I just said the price is high, right? Yeah. Expensive implies that it's overpriced. Yeah. Um, and um, a lot of that stems, I think, from the way that we think about and we feel about money and about business. Yeah. Because we're living in a time now that people are questioning capitalism, like the very system that we live in and we're enjoying the fruits of. Like they, they look at the big corporations with the corrupt CEOs uh, and then think that all business is bad. Yeah. When in fact, business is the reason that we are enjoying the amount of prosperity that we do to the point that our poor people are not actually poor <laughs> by comparison. Correct. Um, I literally live next door to government housing and their houses look nicer than mine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our poor people, folks. <laughs> um, and, but the reason that our government can afford, you know, such nice uh, arrangements is because they're charging taxes, and who are who's paying the taxes? It's businesses, it's people, right? Yeah. Um, so when the economy grows, and when businesses prosper, everybody prospers. Mm. Um, and so from that perspective, like, yeah, like this is looking at the big picture, uh, but bringing it back to to pricing. Um, yeah, we have to recognize that just because something is high priced doesn't necessarily mean it's it's unethical. Yeah. Uh, there are, of course, cases of unethical high pricing, such as that CEO in America who's jacked up the price of the AIDS medication. That's a that's a that's a whole story of uh, unethical uh, proportions. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah, like when when it comes to uh, uh, pricing and, and in selling situations, I think the most important principle to remember is that whatever your price is, you have to deliver many times more in value than what you're charging. So sales training is one of those great professions where we can say, okay, let's just say we're charging $20,000 for something yeah. uh, for a training course, but the training results in a growth of 200,000 or $2 million worth yeah. of additional revenue. So then, uh, do you think the client's going to care if we charge even an extra few thousand dollars for that for that service? Of course not, because it's That's it's a no brainer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so so whatever you're selling, you have to be able to demonstrate how you're going to deliver more value than what your price is. And it's a it's a great equation because it's and it's a cliche, I know, but value is always in the eyes of the beholder. And yes, and often salespeople have a challenge with 
wanting to be the cheapest in the marketplace. And part of that is conditioning of the human psyche as well, because you just have to look at all the advertising you see on TV. Bunnings is a classic example. ENS now, we're never going to be beaten on price or the lowest prices is just the beginning, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we are almost conditioned to believe low price, low price, discount, discount, discount. Um, and as I say salespeople all the time, don't, don't discount. Don't discount. Maintain, maintain the rage with your price because you've got to believe that what you're giving in terms of the price the customer's going to pay, the value that they're going to get is X, 3X or 4X or 5X, then you know what? I'm not going to discount. And I'm sorry, I don't discount. So when people ask me for coaching and training and they ask, oh, is there a volume discount, et cetera, et cetera? No, it, it is what it is. This is it. There's no discounting. And most of the time they say, oh, okay. But at least they're asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes people just want to feel like they're getting a good deal. Well, yes. And, and part of that would be in my head, I'm thinking, okay, what haven't I done yet to articulate the value? I've got a bit more work to do there if they're asking me a question around discounting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well there's two points. Um, there's, there is the value, but there is also the differentiation. Yeah. So, so one of the key reasons that uh, people ask for discounts is because they cannot tell the difference between your offer versus a competitive offer. They look exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. And if two things are exactly the same and, um, yeah, why why wouldn't you go with the cheaper option? Um, so I, I faced this uh, problem, you know, quite viscerally in in my first sales role when I was selling domain names, yeah. like the most boring product on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they that's literally a commodity. Like it made no difference who you bought it from, mm. um, and we were uh, up to seven times the price of our competitors. So coming from an ethical perspective, I was wondering, how am I going to sell this and yeah. still maintain my values? So, so what I said to every client that I spoke to was that when you buy a domain name with us, that you're not just getting a domain name, you're getting my direct line. And I'm willing to spend the time with you to provide whatever advice you need from a website point of view yeah. um, so that uh, you get the full value for, for your uh, investment. Yeah. Um, and, and people uh, bought into that. So, and, and I spent the time with them, <laughs> even though it wasn't my job. <laughs> I, was, I was a salesperson, right? But, but that's um, the value, right? You're providing. Absolutely. Which, uh, which is, and for, my, and that, for many people, that could just justify the, well, maybe not the seven times the value, but <laughs> in many people's eyes, it would have because, hey, they don't get that with somebody else. So I get Ben's time, I get Ben's attention. Yeah. Well, value. well, if you think about it, like if they were to go to a web developer and ask them for their consulting, like they would charge $250 an hour. Yeah. So, so yeah. from that perspective, I was cheap. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So, um, so it's a good point. So the message there is don't discount and uh, price accordingly, price according to what you can deliver, but don't overinflate your prices. So, um, and, and maintain the rage in terms of what you believe to be true and what you believe to be valuable. Now, Absolutely. as we as we approach, we're nearly up, we're nearly on an hour, man. You, God, you can talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just looking at the time. Hey, I'd love to um, because you and I use LinkedIn a lot, and I'm always interested in getting perspectives on LinkedIn, and and certainly from a selling point of view, how LinkedIn can be used, I guess, more effectively as an outreach method uh, in our sales campaign. So. Uh, I love your take on on this. Uh, if there's anything that the listeners can get from this, fantastic. I might even learn something as well. And I use LinkedIn extensively. Uh, sure. Love, love to get a sense from you in terms of um, the power of LinkedIn as part of ethical selling. 
Yeah, it's it's a great tool and a platform, um, but it's going to have a fairly limited lifespan uh, in the same way that cold calling once upon a time was the method for outreach. LinkedIn is now the method. Um, so it is extremely effective because we can reach uh, the uh, targeted uh, audiences. We don't have to call through receptionists and so forth uh, to reach the people that we want to. But um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people are using it in a very ineffective way. And so that's creating a lot of noise. It's creating a lot of annoyance. Um, and if you want to cut through the noise, uh, we have to be mindful of a couple of principles. One is that we have to be different. You, you mustn't use phrases that everybody else is using, such as, I looked at your profile and I was very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got one of those? Have you got some of those as well? Oh, I thought it was just me getting them. <laughs> uh, the sincerity level just drops instantly. Um, so, so you have to be different. You have to sound different. But uh, more importantly, you have to uh, you have to make it personal. Mm. Uh, so, it, the, the person receiving the message has to feel that that you actually made some effort to to look at their profile and to actually make an intelligent comment about it or um so 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 it has to be different it has to be personal but you also have to offer something of value up front um and uh what i usually suggest is providing some sort of research like collated research that's something that's interesting relevant and valuable to uh, your target audience yeah. um, and um, so what i used to do is uh, when i was selling search engine optimization very, very crowded market. I was selling to digital marketing managers. They actually took up meetings with me because I offered to update them about what's coming up with Google. So mm -hmm. back in the day, it was Penguin Update. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. so I'd say, um, you know, Penguin Update is coming. I'd love to fill you in on what's what's going to happen so that you can prepare and you don't get penalized. Um, and people loved it. Like they, they, they took up meetings with me. I couldn't sell straight away especially since a lot of these organizations were okay with their uh, SEO. Yeah. Uh, but but it led to creating the, the first step in the relationship. And if you're doing business with larger companies, you have to have the long game in mind. You get in early before they need you. Mm. Then when the need arises, then guess who they're going to call? The person that, that, that's been giving them value all this time. So, so have the giving mindset when you're doing this outreach, what can you give in exchange for their time? Love it. It's um, when you think about it, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty common sense based, isn't it? <laughs> uh, common sense is not always common practice. <laughs> I, I get so many, and I, cause I'm a coach, cause I'm a mentor, cause I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I get all sorts of different reach out from all these different organizations. And in the, I mean, granted, one thing they do they do well is they at least do a connection request that's personalized. But within that personalization, it's all about them. It's not about me. The only thing they might say is what you said at the upfront. Oh, I looked at your profile. It's very impressive. <laughs> then they go into, we are a digital marketing agency, blah, 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 connect. Then if I connect, because sometimes I just do it just to see what happens next. So I'm really curious in terms of how people use LinkedIn as their as part of their sales strategy to see what happens after the connection is is accepted, and many of them instantaneously will come back and say, "Hey, let's jump on a call. This is what I got." Blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, really, you you don't even know me, you don't even know me, and you're trying to enter a relationship. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. 
So it, it's and and my my view on on LinkedIn is it's a slow it's a slow game. It's a long it game. Is. It is. And you can spend shitloads of money on advertising and stuff like that. But if you're going to use LinkedIn as a sales strategy tool, make sure it's ethical. Make sure you're reaching out to the target market. And as you said, make sure you're giving value to the person. And that is, it could be a, a, a case study. It could be a white paper. It could be something. It could just be a suggestion. It could be an introduction to somebody else in your network that might be able to help them in some capacity. And people always remember you and it'll come back. Absolutely. Um, the other thing to just watch out for uh, as a quick note is um, you can be one on one of two extremes. You can either be too commercial, as in directly promoting yourself, or you can be too relational. So sometimes I'll get messages saying, hi, Ben, how's business? <laughs> I'm thinking, what do you want? <laughs> well, that's interesting. I got one from a guy from, funnily enough, the Philippines this week that I'd connected with 12 months ago. And his message was pretty much that. It was like, oh, hi, Darren. We haven't spoken for a while. No, we haven't spoken for ages. Just wanted to check in to see how business is going. (laughs) So I thought, and I looked at the history, and there's no history with us. We've connected, right? (laughs) So I went back to him and said, oh, hi, insert the blank. Um, Have we actually spoken? Because I I don't believe we've spoken. So be ethical, right? Be genuine. Yeah. Be human. That's so, it. Mate, hey, as we as we wrap up, great, great conversation. Really enjoyed this. Uh, for people listening, a couple of things. One is from an ethical point of view, and, and all this is about sales ethos and sales ethics. Um, what would be a key message you want to leave people around, around selling with ethics? But also, where can people find you and find more about Ben Lay and what you do? Sure. Um, one of my favorite uh, phrases um, comes from my hero, uh, Jim Rohn. And uh, he, he was the one who mentored uh, Tony Robbins, by the way. Um, so he said, uh, or earn more than you need so you can help others in need. And I think that's, that's a really beautiful motivator and drive to, to be successful uh, and to earn as much as you possibly can, not so that you can buy fancy stuff. If you want to do that, that's fine. But, you know, that, that, that's not a very motivating goal. Um, and uh, yeah, the, in, in terms of where to find me, uh, salesethos.com.au or uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Ben Lai, L-A-I. Um, yeah, more than happy to uh, have a virtual coffee or, or a real life coffee if you're based in Melbourne. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. So, um, so hey, really enjoy this conversation. Uh, it's good to, it's good to work with, other people and talk to other people who are in the same industry doing the same thing. We might be doing things slightly differently, but at our core, we are like kindred spirits. So if we can continue to, I guess, spread the gospel and um, <laughs> allow people to, to look at sales from a more ethical perspective, because it is one of the greatest professions. And it if is. we can do this, we can affect so many people's lives. It's uh, it's phenomenal. So Ben, greatly appreciate you jumping on and uh, we'll have to do it again, mate. Thanks very much, Darren. Really appreciate it. All the best, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.